0: I'm Timothy Putnam and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, I hope that you are doing wonderfully today. Uh, we're going we're gonna to tackle a topic that I don't think we have ever covered on this show before in the two years we've been doing this. Uh, we're going to talk about liturgy. And uh, I know what you may be thinking. You're thinking, you say that this is a practical show about the implications of the the deep things of our faith. Why are we going to talk about liturgy? That's just the thing we do on Sunday, and uh, what implication does that have for us? Well, uh, that's what we're going to be delving into today. Uh, We picked this topic because I was uh, wandering around Facebook, and up popped this Facebook ad over in the sidebar from the liturgical institute which is a uh, a degree plan an institute uh, out of uh, chicago illinois it's at saint mary of the lake in mundelein and uh, so up pops this this advertisement for a one day uh, young adult conference on the liturgy uh, featuring some great topics and great speakers uh culminating with mass with cardinal supich and it looks to be just fantastic. So we're going to talk later in the show with the Assistant Director of Media and Communications from the Liturgical Institute. His name is Jesse Weiler, and he's got all of the information that you and I need to understand this conference and, uh, and maybe make our way to it. It's coming up April 22nd there in Chicago, Illinois. So if you are close by or have some friends there and want to make that trip, uh, it's only— $50, which if you know anything about conferences, if you've ever attended a conference, that's ludicrously cheap. Uh, and so it, all it takes is for you to uh, to make your way there, and uh, it's going to be a great conference. I, I'm actually working and massaging my schedule to see if I can't make it out there as well. Liturgy is actually one of the things that brought me into the Catholic Church. Uh, i Grew up in a in a charismatic Methodist church, which is kind of an oxymoron for uh, Methodist, if you know anything about the denomination. But uh, I did. I went to an odd Methodist church that had some charismatic uh, roots, and uh, and so the, my whole experience with the presence of God was a very uh, emotive experience. You knew that you were in the manifest presence of God by uh, by how you felt, right? If you had some mystical experience, or if the, basically, if the music was just right, if the lights were just right, and if you had so positioned your uh, soul to be receptive, then all the components were right, and, and God was there. Uh, and so, that was really my understanding of, of what we did in worship on uh, on Sunday mornings. And then, of course, I went to seminary, and, and I went into ministry, uh, and was the Minister of Worship and Arts, which is a fancy title for the guy who directs the choir and picks the songs and leads the music, right? Uh, and so here I was, and I am now trying to create those moments for other people. I, I'm here in in my congregations that I worked at, and I am trying to create that environment where uh, where th- these people who are in the congregation— can come to a place of emotional connection to God. And it's difficult. And it's difficult for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that people are very attached to their their preferences, their genre, music genre preferences. And when you get into catering to everybody's different preferences, it becomes very hard to create that experience for everyone. I think that's one of the reasons that we see such uh, a segregated Sunday morning because everyone's going uh, to that service that stylistically they enjoy. It's something that that they feel. F- now, it's, I don't think that it's necessarily uh, the kind of thing that they're doing on purpose to to just be narcissistic about it. I think that they feel in that moment where they're going to that service that they feel stylistically comfortable in, that they feel uh, fed, that they feel as if they have uh, encountered God in that place. So I I don't think that there's anything negative there, uh, or at least not, um, not consciously aware that it's a negative thing. And yet, as I'm sitting here and I'm trying to create these environments for people, and I'm picking the songs out every Sunday, and some of the songs out there are just pretty bad. And uh, of course, I'm talking about specifically in the tradition that I was in, those praise and worship choruses. Some of them are fine, but some of them are pretty bad. But unless you get a little bit too uh, cocky, and well, you know, of course, those are awful. Uh, there's some pretty bad hymns as well in our hymnals. And so the, the task of the the music leader is to pick things that are theologically appropriate. And that's sometimes easier said than done. And so here I am in this environment, and I am trying to create uh, not only an experience that these people will uh, will feel as though they have met with God, but that's also theologically accurate. And I'm weeding through all of these songs, and I, I kind of come to this realization one day as I'm looking at these songs as they talk about, uh, you know, some some beautiful songs, like, I worship you, almighty God, there is none like you, Right and i sit there and i and i realize we're 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 not doing this right something's not right here because i'm saying i worship you almighty god but what we're doing is we're we're standing here and we feel this rise of emotion and we have this rise of affection but we're we're just standing here maybe we're raising our hands and and that can be an expression of affection uh maybe there you know who knows what's going on but what what i do know is not going on is is worship in the historical and biblical sense, right? Maybe what we're doing is praising, you know, that's what you do with your kids, great job, I love you, although that, that, that's good, right? But it's not worship. Uh, scripturally, historically, worship involves uh, submission and sacrifice, so plain and simple submission and sacrifice. Uh, you worship the words for worship in the Bible uh, refer to bowing down, bowing down low. They refer to posture. They refer to uh, the, the sacrifice of uh, what happened in the temple, right? And so I'm looking at this going, I might as well be singing a song saying, I'm mowing the lawn, I'm mowing the lawn, I'm mowing the lawn. But, but it doesn't make a difference because what I'm doing is I'm standing here and singing to you that I'm mowing the lawn, so I began to be very conscious about how do we worship? How do we get to this place? How do we how do we get out of the idea that worship is a genre or that worship is simply uh, saying happy things and that we get to the place where we realize that worship, worship is the Eucharist, right? And so for me, that was a, one, it was a big shift. It was a, a shift from this understanding of, if I have this emotive experience, then therefore I have been in the presence of God, to realizing that, yes, there are sometimes mystical experiences, but if I come and I participate in the liturgy, in the ritual, and I am fully present at the Eucharist, in the Mass, then I have worshiped whether I have that mystical experience or not. Yeah, it's it's nice sometimes to have that that feedback that our soul feels connected to God and and there's this rush, but that's not the indicator as to whether or not I've worshipped. If I've been in the presence of God and we've gone through this this ritual that He gave to us and we're doing that in obedience, right? Because He said, "Do this in remembrance of Me." Uh, now all of a sudden. I've participated in that sacrifice of the mass. I've submitted myself uh, to the to the to the obedience of Christ, and now I've worshipped. Now I've given God the kind of worship that He desires. But remember uh, that if you if that phrase strikes you as familiar, uh, when the woman came to Jesus, uh, the Samaritan woman, and and she says, "You know, aren't um, my fathers say?" that we should worship God on this mountain and your father say we worship God on that mountain. And Jesus replies to her, he says, uh, the day is coming where we'll neither worship on this mountain or that mountain, but the the worshipers, the father seeks are those who worship in spirit and in truth, right? What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean in spirit and in truth? I think it means, and somebody out there might correct me, I think it means that not only do we do these things that he's handed down to us, right? they're just ritual and rote, and we do the same thing every week, as some people complain. That we do these things, that's truth. But that we do these things also in spirit, that we attach our, uh, our heart and our emotion to that ritual. And now all of a sudden it's given deeper meaning. Uh, A lot of people have have said, well, you know, you're just praying the same things over and over and over. Uh, What does it really matter? How how is that uh, as expressive as praying something from your heart? And my answer to that is always, uh, if you're you're married or if you have a significant other, do you have a song? You know, it's our song. And they generally say yes. Uh, Well, did you write that song? And they would say, no, it's like, but no, we can attach our emotion and our affection to something that someone else wrote and use it to express ourselves more fully. And that's what we do in the mass. That's what we do. We bring our emotion and our heart and we attach it to this beautiful liturgy that's been given to the church that we participate fully in, in the mass and the prayer of the mass and the sacrifice of the mass. And at the end of the day, we can say, we've been involved in true worship and spirit and in truth. When we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, Jesse Weiler, Assistant Director of Media and Communications for the Liturgical Institute, about a conference coming up called Transfigured. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a great conversation. Why don't you go over to our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls and talk to me. What's your favorite experience of the liturgy? We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you're here with us today. Well, today we're talking about an opportunity uh, that that you have uh, for some spiritual enrichment. It's going to take a little bit of travel, but hey, why not uh, head out to the beautiful uh, Chicago? And so we're talking today with Jesse Weiler. He's the Assistant Director for Media and Communications at the Liturgical Institute, uh, and they are partnering uh, with uh, St. Alphonsus Parish there in, in Chicago to put on this young adult liturgical conference, liturgy conference called uh, Transfigured. You can find out more information about it over at betransfigured.com. Jesse, thanks for being on the show today.
1: Not a problem. happy to be on.
0: So liturgy is is one of the things that I love. It's one of the things that brought me into the church, uh, having been a, uh, for for lack of a better term, the, the principal liturgist at the Protestant church that I attended, I was the worship and arts pastor there and did all different kinds of liturgy. And in my study of liturgy was one of the things that that drew me into uh, the Catholic Church. And so uh, I have a just a, a fond affinity for this. But I'm interested in this. First of all, I, I invited you on here today because I saw this, and I'm looking for ways to come because this just looks like a fast, fabulous uh, conference. But I'm curious about it because it specifically a young adult liturgical conference. That's not generally terms that you hear put in the same phrase. So how did did this come about?
1: Well, first of all, you are right that you have never heard that put in that phrase before because I did a little bit of research and to my knowledge, this is the first time this has ever been done in the history of the world. Nobody's ever thought that young adults would want to go to a liturgy-only conference. But um, the idea kind of came out of almost a little bit of selfishness in my own desire to learn more about liturgy. uh, When I started at the Liturgical Institute about a year and a half ago, I started learning information, learning these things about liturgy that I had never known before. Nobody had ever taught me. And I had a real fire in my heart about liturgy because of it. And I would start having conversations with my peers. And I would say, did you know that there are four degrees of importance of music in liturgy and in America, we almost do it completely backwards. (laughs) And I would just kind of go on these rants and then my peers would, would also say, wow, I never knew that, that's very interesting. And so as I started having more and more conversations with my young adult peers, it became apparent to me that we needed to do some catechesis for young adults for two reasons. One, we run an institution here for further education. So you can get your master's of arts in liturgy We also have a doctoral program as well. Mm -hmm. But two, if you're not going to go, you know, get a master's degree in liturgy, not everybody will, um, we still want you to know the importance of liturgy, and this conference is perfect for that, because there are lots of young Catholics who are pursuing their vocation of marriage, and who we want to know this information so that they can pass it on to their kids. And so this is the perfect demographic to to reach out Mm -hmm. to.
0: Well, this really is part of the new evangelization. I mean, you, you hear uh, from the Protestant world where I came from, you hear people talk about, oh, that's just dead liturgy over there. Uh, they're just <clears> doing it because it's rote and that's what they were taught to do. And yet, as you, and, and that may be the case for some people, but as you begin to understand the symbolism and the richness behind the things that we do, all of a sudden it takes on this, this incredibly vibrant life that really fuels the soul
1: absolutely and you know what we have some of the most amazing faculty members here at the liturgical institute who put this information in the most you know the the most easy to, to digest ways and it's great and what i love about the liturgical institute and their approach to teaching liturgy is that it has no agenda oftentimes people you hear the word liturgy and you automatically hear whatever connotation you think of when you hear liturgy, whether it's really progressive or really liberal or, or whatever. But here at the liturgical Institute, we have no agenda. We're not pushing an agenda. Our only thing that we do is we look to church documents and we try to interpret them as best as possible to then inform our worship in the mass. That's it. It's simple.
0: So, Let's talk a little bit about what are some of the things as you were first getting involved in this uh, understanding of liturgy that, that took you as as a Catholic uh, who had been practicing for some time that took you by surprise?
1: Well, like I said earlier, I think the biggest thing that uh, kind of irked me would be the music and music is very important to me. I, I'm a big fan of it. And uh, as, as you would hear some of our faculty here say, uh, music or, or sung prayer is, is the highest form of prayer. Well, there are four degrees of music as stated in Musicum Sacrum and then restated in other church documents in which the number one most important thing to be sung at Mass, there, there are any of the dialogues between the priests and the people. Mm-hmm. And that is first and foremost. So even something as simple as, you know, uh you know the lord be with you you know peace be with you and with your spirit those things should be chanted or sung um you know anything like uh you know a, a reading from the book of genesis that those are things that should be sung because it's a dialogue and we music is a trinitarian dialogue by nature and so that's why that is put so high And so when i heard that i was like well we're doing that wrong we're doing we're doing <laughs> it backwards you know and so i mean just lots of other things um, informing in myself, another big thing is active participation. When I heard mm-hmm. that at first, I thought it meant be a Eucharistic minister, or actually minister of Holy Communion, or, you know, get involved in the liturgy. Well, that's not true at all. Active participation means that we are to be on that altar. We are supposed to put, our, put ourselves on the altar with Christ in sacrifice. And we be, are supposed to be active in the worship, not, not just moving sacrifice. around with our bodies, you know? Yeah
0: to be that living sacrifice that Paul talks about.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So as you said, most people, when they think of, of liturgy, they have a very particular picture in their head. Uh, right. And so um, how do we uh, begin to approach the liturgy in a way that that it becomes, you know, as they say, ever ancient, ever new, that we can look at it not as, oh, well, this is just that thing that they have to do now, and and begin to understand it in the terms of uh historical christian worship.
1: Right? Well, as Catholics it's it's the crux of our faith is is liturgy and the eucharist is is one of the most important things that that we can do and participate in. So, first of all, it should be done well. It should have a higher place. And when we talk about mass in the vernacular, you know, the language of mass should be different than the language that you and I speak, you know, in, in a conversation. So, I'm not going to say things in our dialogue, you and me, like, you know, uh, uh, transubstantiation or, you know, consubstantial. I'm not going to say those types of words or, or anything like that. That is a language that is designed specific specifically for liturgy. So, the liturgy, by nature, is is elevated. So. That's the first thing, is we need to understand what's happening there. Uh, Dr. McNamara, who will be speaking at the conference, uh, also presents a really good image for this foretaste of heaven. He says, when you come home and you smell that somebody's baking cookies in the oven, you smell those cookies and you you can smell them so so well that you can almost taste the cookies in your mouth. Mm-hmm. But you don't have the cookies, but you know that there are cookies coming and he call, he calls that a great image for the foretaste of heaven, and so we have that attitude if we have that attitude when we go to mass, it can further enhance not just our mass going experience but our our daily lives as well and that's truly what the mass is for
0: well, and we have this this very sensual faith in the sense that it relates to our senses, right and so you know right. you, you you have these memories uh, that that are triggered by uh, you know, you, you smell mothballs and you think uh, of, your, of your grandmother's mm-hmm. house, right? Right. <laughs> uh, you, you walk into any Catholic church and you see the, the tabernacle candle lit and it triggers something. And you know that that Christ right. is present. You walk in and after mass has occurred and you smell the incense and you're transported uh, through that, that aroma, you're transported to this liturgical or, or spiritual place. It... it puts you kind of in the proper place of reception. Uh, and so all of these things within the liturgy uh, that, that are symbolic, yes, they also help orient us uh, to a place where we are uh, more readily uh, able to give worship to God, right?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, people want to go to that go-to phrase about Mass that is boring. It's always the same thing, and it's boring. Well, by nature— the repetition is there so that we can know what we're doing for, mm-hmm. in terms of being having a ritual. Because if you went to a Mass, and then all of a sudden some people were standing, and you're like, oh my gosh, do we, do we stand here? What, what are we doing here? You wouldn't know how to be involved in the ritual of the liturgy. So those things are the same for very important reasons, so that the Church can be universal in their worship, and that we can all act as one body of Christ. Now, the thing that's very interesting is that there are some things that change in the Mass. So the readings will change. The different prayers will change. So sometimes, instead of saying the Mass is boring, it's always the same, you can flip that and say, well, why don't you focus on the things that are different? Is there a Saint Feast Day today? Is there a different prayer in the collect that allows you to offer yourself in a better way today? So there's always a different perspective that you can put on that you can always gain more from Mass.
0: Mm-hmm. We're talking today with Jesse Weiler. He's the Assistant Director of Media and Communications at the Liturgical Institute. And we're talking about a, a new uh, conference coming up in April called the, the Transfigured Conference. You can find out more information about that over at bTransfigured.com btransfigured.com. Well, we're going to continue this conversation Right after the break But until then Why don't you come over to my social media Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls On Twitter The handle is At OutsideTheWalls And let's have a conversation What's your experience of the liturgy? Is there some specific thing That, that stands out to you as your favorite? Or do you have troubles uh, As the church goes through these cycles? Let's talk We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about liturgy and specifically a liturgical conference for young adults that's coming right up in April twenty second, just the day before Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, happening in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, it's a, a, a co-production, a co, uh, co-sponsored by the Liturgical Institute there in Chicago and uh, from Saint Alphonsus Catholic Church there, historic church, beautiful location, and uh, this is going to be just stellar. Uh, you can find out more information over at com. Uh, I found it, I think, through a Facebook ad, and uh, I'm just uh, really excited about it. You've got John Leonetti. Uh, Chris Karstens is the director of the Office of Sacred Worship at the Diocese of La Crosse and also a lecturer there at the Liturgical Institute. Uh, Father uh, Father John Karchi is the rector of Mundelein Seminary. Uh, Dennis, Dr. Dennis McNamara, uh, Alexis Kutarna, uh, All of these folks are either graduates or teachers at the Liturgical Institute, uh, and they are partnering with this parish to put on this fascinating uh, conference. They're going to be talking about scripture and music and all kinds of other things. It's just a day long, and it's only $50 uh, if you register before the deadline. After that, it goes up to $75, but even so for a conference, that's just really affordable. Uh, And you get to spend time in beautiful Chicago. Uh, get to see some of the architecture, specifically uh, the the historic architecture of uh, the church there, where they're going to be having Mass. Uh, and another, uh, uh, what's the other location y'all are going to be in?
1: So the location is the San Alphonsus Catholic Church. And then the church actually owns an old theater that they used to have as part of their school. They no longer run it. They hire a management company to run it. So mm-hmm. it's right next door. The theater holds thousand people will probably fill it and uh, and then after you know lunch'll we'll be in the basement of the church and then closing mass right next door
0: so let's talk a little bit about uh, the the interest in this you said this is the first of its kind uh, what kind of response have you gotten uh, to to the advertisements for this
1: well we've been running some ad sets obviously specifically to young adults but all in cities all over the country and we are getting people commenting on our ads, which is pretty rare if you're into Facebook advertising, but people are tagging their friends saying, Hey, you should go to this. You're near Chicago. Or there's a group in uh, San Diego that wants to to road trip to Chicago for a one day conference. And I mean, it's just, it's kind of seems surreal because I don't think I would do that. And I'm planning this. (laughs)
0: Right. So let's talk for just a moment about what do you clarify, uh, what, what do you categorize as a young adult? Because I don't feel like I'm a young adult and yet I got the Facebook ad. So who are you targeting? Well,
1: that's a, <laughs> we, we want people to learn about the liturgy no matter what age group they are in. And the USCCB actually categorizes a young adult as anybody between the ages of 19 and 39. But uh, we're, we're definitely not going to turn anybody away. But the idea with this is that we did want you know, predominantly young adults to come to this so that they can experience this catechesis with their peers. Because we think that's a really powerful experience when you're learning these things with your peers because there's a sense of camaraderie there and, and you can be united in that. And then the great thing about that is right after the conference, you go celebrate Mass. And it's just, it's such an amazing thing. And to like I said, to do that with your peers, I think is an elevated experience.
0: Now let's take uh, 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 this... A different direction for just a moment. Earlier, you mentioned that at the Liturgical Institute, you don't pursue the liturgy through any agenda. Uh, but very often, when people hear liturgy, uh, they tend to think that that falls in kind of the conservative wing of the church, and then mm-hmm. they then they hear things like social justice, and they think that those things kind of fall in the left wing of the church. And generally, they don't see those two things uh, coinciding very often but you were able to get cardinal Supic to come and celebrate your closing mass and and generally when people think of cardinal Supic, they think of of the more social justice side of the church and they don't think of uh, the more what they consider the more conservative side of the liturgy so talk to us just a little bit about cardinal Supic's involvement and, and and his support for this conference
1: well i can tell you that uh I haven't had any personal communications with the Cardinal, but um, our uh, interim director has had a number of conversations with him. And I can tell you that I have had personal interactions with him via young adult settings. And I can tell you that he is enamored by what's happening in specifically the the city of Chicago with young adult ministry. It's thriving um, in a true and authentic way. Uh, We just had the March for Life here uh, we, 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 Chicago does their own March of Life, and then some people go on to D.C. So he is in full support of youth ministry and young adult ministry because he knows wholeheartedly that that is the future of the Church. And to have close to 1,000 young adults from all over the country to come to Chicago for a liturgy conference definitely means something. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to make sure that we obviously— and talk to our own local diocese about, you know, having representation at the closing mass. But Cardinal Supic himself has said that he wants the Liturgical Institute to help catechize the diocese of Chicago. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, a lot of times we think of uh, young adult ministry as being, you know, the, the the big bands and the lights and the the big events that that are really charged and emotional. And you're mm-hmm. taking a different tack on this, uh, because the liturgy is generally considered more reflective. And even though there is some emotional component to it, it's not considered to be as emotive as those other, uh, experiences.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, there's a formula for conferences, young adult conferences, youth ministry conferences, and we all know it, you know, you, 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 you get people in, you hype them up, you educate them, and then you have a, you, a, a peak moment where there's maybe adoration, praise and worship music, and you really pull on the heartstrings. Well, first of all, we're dealing with young adults who don't necessarily need to rely on that emotional connection. Um, and second of all, uh, while praise and worship music is really, I, I enjoy it myself, I really do, um, but, you know, it's primarily devotional. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about liturgy, the church communicates very clearly what the music should be like, what the liturgy should look like. You know, you talked about us being sensate beings, you know. The church explains all of this. And so this liturgy conference is going to have different aspects of maybe something that you would see at a, another young adult conference. But, you know, we're going to tweak it a little. Uh, we are actually, for the adoration period, between the close of the the speaking portion of the conference And before Mass begins, we're going to have a period of adoration, and we're going to do um, solemn vespers with incense, and we're going to chant the Liturgy of the Hours in choirs, Mm -hmm. the left side of the church versus the right side of the church. And it's going to be a a time for people to kind of experience maybe what a solemn vesper would look like. They probably have never even heard of the phrase. So we're going to do that because— you can get an emotional experience from seeing, you know, the smoke rise up through the stained glass windows and the light coming through and the smell. And, uh, it's going to be different for sure, but it's going to help educate people on, uh, what liturgy is and why we do it.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk, uh, just in, in closing, let's say someone, uh, wants to get involved. The easiest thing of course, is to go to the website at betransfigured.com com. And to, uh, to sign up, $50 uh, if you do the early bird registration. Go to Chicago April 22nd for this fabulous conference. Uh, not everyone's going to be able to do that. So let's talk mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite books. I'm going to throw out a book. I'm going to let you throw out a book. Uh, okay. If someone wants to approach the liturgy, maybe for the first time, uh, my favorite book on the topic is by Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, who became Pope Benedict sixteenth, and mm-hmm. it's called The Spirit of the Liturgy. If you want to approach mm-hmm. liturgy for that first time, that's a, a great book to go to. It It is a little academic, but I've always found that that Pope Benedict was very accessible. Now, uh, your turn. If someone wants to approach the liturgy for for the first time and maybe get a sense of what you're talking about, where would you send them?
1: Well, I might also send them to read The Spirit of the Liturgy, but it might not be by Cardinal Ratzinger. It might be by Romano Romano Guardini, who... <laughs> Uh, Ratzinger took the title from, mm-hmm. um, and I think I don't even think it's original with Guardini, but Romano Guardini has has lots to say about liturgy itself. But, you know, I might even say before you get there, I would say first and foremost, maybe you should start looking through some church documents like the General Instruction of the Roman Missal or Sacrosanctum Concilium uh, or Musicum Sacrum. These are all documents on the Vatican's website that you can go through and see what the church says herself about liturgy. Uh, we should all be reading these
0: things. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe maybe a book's not enough for you. You've got these two book options, easy to remember. Both mm-hmm. of them are called the Spirit of the Liturgy. You've got this mm-hmm. conference that you can go to, but maybe maybe this isn't enough. Maybe you want to go deeper. Uh, well, the the sponsoring organization here has degree programs. the uh, the The Liturgical Institute there in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, you can find out more information about them over at Liturgical Institute. Uh, Just in the last minute, talk to us uh, about the the Liturgical Institute in general.
1: Well, the Liturgical Institute was founded 15, no, actually 17 years ago now, uh, by Cardinal Francis George, who wanted this area, the Chicago area, to be the premium location for liturgical catechesis. So we offer uh, degree programs, uh, MAL, Masters of Arts in Liturgy, MALS, uh, which then allows you to go on to your doctorate, on the beautiful campus of Mundelein Seminary. So we have access to the faculty, we have access to the entire beautiful thousand acre campus. Uh, It's just a really great experience. And the two things I would say about the Liturgical Institute are, um, our, our prayer enriches our study and our study enriches our prayer. We start every day with chanted liturgy of the hours and mass, and then our students go to class. And then in the evening we come back together and we close with chanted evening prayer. So our prayer enriches our study and our study enriches our prayer. It is the best way, in my opinion, to study the liturgy.
0: We've been talking with Jesse Weiler today. He's the Assistant Director for Media and Communications at the Liturgical Institute. He's also a driving force behind this conference. You can find out more information about it over at beTransfigured.com. Why don't you join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, on Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Talk to me about your experience of the liturgy. We'll be right back after this. Much more to come. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. I'm so glad that you are here. We've been talking today about the liturgy. Of course, liturgy just means the work of the people. Uh, and so, But we've been talking about it in, in relation to the work that we do together as we come together on Sundays and we worship. Uh, so we've been talking with Jesse Weiler. Uh, he's the Assistant Director of Media and Communications for the Liturgical Institute in Chicago, Illinois. And he talked to us about the conference they've got coming up called Transfigured. Uh, you can find out more information about that over at Transfigured com Now, uh, if you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with someone else, don't forget these are all archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can catch up to it at any time you want. Uh, you can even subscribe to that podcast and uh, never miss an episode. So, uh, let's talk just a little bit. I want to talk to you about what is, uh, what's the purpose of this, of the Mass, of the liturgy that we do. And this is from... Um, This is from Pope Benedict XVI, back before he was Pope Benedict XVI. So Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, he was uh, talking in the year 2000 with, uh, with some catechists and religion teachers, and he said this about the new evangelization. He said, The church always evangelizes and has never interrupted the path of evangelization. She celebrates the Eucharistic mystery every day, administers the sacraments, proclaims the word of life, the word of God, and commits herself to the causes of justice and charity. And this evangelization bears fruit. It gives light and joy. It gives the path of life to many people. Many others live, often unknowingly, off the light and the warmth that radiate from this permanent evangelization. And from there, he goes on to talk about the new evangelization and the need for the new evangelization for those people who don't find hope in that permanent evangelization. And it's a great little piece, but what I love about that is it talks about the Mass, that thing that, uh, that we think of as, oh, it's the same every time and it's boring and whatever else. And it talks about that, that Mass, that act, that, that work that we do even on, on Sunday morning and on every day, if you go to daily Mass, that work is evangelization. And it's, it, it's the evangelization of us. You know, uh, it doesn't work in the same way that, that it worked in my Protestant days where, you know, someone comes in and they feel instantly at home. I did not feel at home in the liturgy when I first got there. It, it felt like I was coming into someone else's uh, home into someone else's uh, way of being. And I felt like the odd man out. But as I stayed and as I participated I certainly was evangelized uh, by that permanent evangelization of the church, of, of administering the sacraments, proclaiming the word of life, and committing herself, the church herself, to the causes of justice and charity. So that's the purpose of even the liturgy, is that we are, through this, uh, this affection that we have, expressing our affection through this unchanging ritual of the mass, of the liturgy. And this is not something that's new to us. This is something that even the apostles experienced in, in the tabernacle, uh, in, in the temple worship, that these things, the scriptures were repeated, the liturgies that they had were repeated to where they became very, very familiar with them. Uh, and so we're going to look at that just a little bit today in today's gospel. Coming from Mark 9, we read this which I think is really appropriate because the conference that we're talking about is called Transfigured, and this is the reading of the Transfiguration. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, It is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. And then from the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, the disciples no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He told them, Elijah will indeed come first and restore all things. Yet how is it written regarding the Son of Man that he must suffer greatly and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. That reading comes from the Gospel of Mark. And and the reason that I, I brought up what I brought up just before we read that is that Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah because they knew the scriptures, because of the repetition of the liturgy, that they knew how to recognize what things were coming because they had heard it over and over and over again. In, in fact, in, in when back in Deuteronomy uh, 6, where you have that, that reading where God says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He talks about these commandments which I've given you today. Talk about them with your children, when you rise up, when you lie down, when you come in and when you go out, there's this sense that the repetition of the liturgy that we have together as Catholics and that we have within our home, uh, that repetition prepares us to go outside the walls, to recognize those situations that we are to be the representatives of Christ. That perpetual, continual evangelization by participating in the Mass uh, weekly, if not more often, uh, prepares us... For the rest of the work, for the things that we do uh, the rest of the day, right? Uh, The liturgy is so rich and it is food for our soul. The Eucharist uh, feeds us and gives us the energy that we need to be the saints that God has called us to be. The liturgy is meant to feed us and to satisfy us, to be our food, to be our sustenance so that we can do the rest of the work. And our reading from church history touches on that just a little bit. This is from St. Augustine, and we hear this. We have been promised that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. By these words, the tongue has done its best. Now we must apply the meditation of the heart. Although they are the words of St. John, what are they in comparison with the divine reality? And how can we, so greatly inferior to John and merit, add anything of our own? Yet we have received, as John told us, an anointing by the Holy One, which teaches us inwardly more than any tongue can speak. Let us turn to this source of knowledge. And because at present you cannot see, make it your business to desire the divine vision. The entire life of a good Christian is in fact an exercise of holy desire. You do not yet see what you long for, but the very act of desiring prepares you so that when he comes, you may see and be utterly satisfied. Suppose you were going to fill some holder or container, and you know you will be given a large amount. Then you set about stretching your sack or wineskin or whatever it is. Why? Because you know the quantity you will have to put in it, and your eyes tell you there's not enough room. By stretching it, therefore, you increase the capacity of the sack. And this is how God deals with us. Simply by making us wait... He increases our desire, which in turn enlarges our capacity of our soul, making it able to receive what is to be given to us. So, my brethren, let us continue to desire, for we shall be filled. Take note of St. Paul stretching, as it were, his ability to receive what is to come. Not that I have already obtained this, he said, or am made perfect, brethren. I do not consider that I have already obtained it. We might ask him, If you have not yet obtained it, what are you doing in this life? This one thing I do, answers Paul, forgetting what lies behind and stretching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the prize to which I am called in the life above. Not only did Paul say he stretched forward, but he also declared that he pressed on toward a chosen goal. He realized, in fact, that he was still short of receiving what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. Such is our Christian life. By desiring heaven, we exercise the powers of the soul. Now this exercise will be effective only to the extent that we free ourselves from the desires leading to infatuation with this world. Let me return to the example I've already used, the filling an empty container. God means to fill each of you with what is good. So cast out what is bad. If he wishes to fill you with honey and you are full of sour wine, where's the honey to go? The vessel must be emptied of its contents and then be cleansed. Yes, it must be cleansed even if you have to work hard and scour it. It must be made fit for the new thing, whatever it may be. We may go on speaking figuratively of honey, gold, wine, but whatever we say cannot express the reality we are about to receive. The name of that reality is God. But who will claim that? In one syllable we utter the full expanse of our heart's desire. Therefore, whatever we say is necessarily less than the full truth. We must extend ourselves toward the measure of Christ so that when he comes, he may fill us with his presence. Then we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That reading comes from, uh, from St. Augustine. And, and I think that it really encapsulates what we're talking about here in the liturgy is that this liturgy is a shadow it's merely a foretaste of heavenly worship, and yet it prepares us for the reception of the fullness of God as we empty ourselves of of the mundane things that go on day by day and we allow ourselves to be in this transcendent beauty. We allow ourselves to take in the fullness of the liturgy. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Outside the Walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Go to Outside the Walls and become a friend of the show. Become eligible for giveaways and all kinds of extra content. And visit us at OutsideTheWalls.com for all the archives. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give
1: you peace.